0: Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Susio of Geodata Vision.
1: Welcome to our podcast series addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance but were afraid to ask. Dean, with all the talk about global warming and changes in weather patterns, are there specific regulations or environmental risks that financial institutions should consider?
0: Len, great question. And this is one area that comes to mind is flood insurance. While there are no regulations specific to the mandatory purchase of flood insurance, this area is viewed as inherently high risk by regulators.
1: So, Dean, with no regulations, how does a financial institution comply? Or more importantly, how do they know what provisions to follow for compliance?
0: Len, you know how to ask all the right questions for sure. The short answer is that it's difficult with no specific regulations to point to. There are mandatory purchase guidelines for flood, which become the source document for provisions and compliance. And we also have various FILs, financial institution letters that assist in determining compliance in addition to industry best practices.
1: Okay, so Dean, without specific regulations, can you highlight key areas of compliance for our audience today?
0: Sure thing, Len. The statutory requirements apply When improved real property, that is the building or the manufactured home, mobile home, is taken as security for a loan, a lender's responsibilities include the following. They have to determine whether the building or the manufactured home offered as security for a loan is or will be located in a special flood hazard area. And this is done uh, on a determination typically used by a third party. And it should be done as early in the process as possible uh, in order to comply with other provisions within the act itself. Document the determination of the flood hazard status. This is determining you know, whether the property rests within a special flood hazard area. How do we document that? Um, and what is the risk area on the determination form itself um, so that we can determine what the actual premium should be and the coverage should be? They're updated periodically the what we call the the flood determination form. Um, So we want to make sure that we're we're also using the correct version uh, when making that determination. We also have to provide notice to the borrower if collateral Mm -hmm. is or will be located uh, in a special flood hazard area per the appropriate sample um, that I provide, you know, that I have uh, referenced the notice of flood hazard insurance availability, along with the amount of coverage that we're requiring. And the law itself gets a little bit clunky is, uh, in that it's not just proof of mailing uh, to notify somebody uh, that they have to have flood insurance. It's proof of receipt. So institutions are encouraged to send that uh, proof of receipt, return receipt requested. We have to require that adequate flood insurance is obtained for all of the buildings um, that are in the uh, special flood hazard area um and we have to ensure that each building does have the appropriate amount of coverage so we have to use a calculation form in order to make that determination we also have to require uh, escrows for flood insurance premiums if escrows are required for other items uh, as we know such as hazard insurance or taxes Uh, we have to determine the term of the loan ensure that flood insurance is maintained uh, for the appropriate amount so we have to monitor Uh, on an ongoing basis to ensure that flood coverage is maintained in the appropriate amount and that coverage has not been dropped in any way, shape, or form. We also have to make sure that we consistently reconcile that with our uh, third party provider typically um, to make sure that the list is accurate, up to date, and that we're tracking all uh, properties that should be uh, tracked for purposes of flood insurance. And then, of course, if the uh, the borrower does not comply or at some point during the process they uh, uh, lose coverage or, or uh, cancel coverage, uh, we have to make sure that we force place uh, flood insurance on the borrower. And, and there is a prescribed format for doing that. We have to notify them. Uh, that they have 45 days to get coverage. And then we should force place it on the 46th day because that's what the notification itself actually tells them they must do.
1: Well, certainly, Dean, your guidelines seem pretty straightforward. So how have financial institutions been doing with respect to compliance?
0: Well, you know, while the provisions seem relatively straightforward, we have seen numerous violations with some significant civil money penalties being assessed to institutions.
1: So what specific types of issues are you seeing, Dean?
0: Well, many of the issues recently we've seen relate to commercial properties in contents coverage, um, but issues exist with all aspects of the provisions themselves. Uh, the contents coverage issue relates to blanket security uh, instrument provisions, which require all, constant, all contents fixtures um, as collateral uh, within the security document itself. But the policy does not include coverage for contents, uh, which has been viewed as a violation by many regulators. Of course, there have been some inconsistencies with the interpretation of these provisions, which I believe has led to some of the confusion. But the bottom line is, if you take contents as collateral or have blanket provisions in your security agreements related to uh, contents coverage, you need to have coverage in place.
1: Mm. And so what other additional issues beyond commercial contents issues have you been seeing, Dean?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked because, again, flood is one of those areas where we've seen numerous penalties being assessed. Uh, we've seen the following issues, uh, time, timeliness or timing issues uh, with respect to procuring the determination and notifying borrowers of the need for flood insurance. They have this reasonableness standard, which regulators have interpreted to mean Ah, uh, ten days, uh, and that that pertains to notification of flood insurance, uh, which is technically the next bullet point that I had uh, to talk about. However, it's impossible to comply with notification requirements if we don't or- order that determination early enough in the process. Notification, as I just indicated, also of the need for insurance—the uh, big issue. Uh, With notification is, again, the reasonableness standard, whether we're providing notification within a reasonable period of time, which is interpreted to be 10 days, and that we have proof of receipt that the actual borrower has received uh, the notification of coverage requirements and uh, how much they need to uh, obtain in advance of the closing. Calculation of coverage, uh, another issue in itself, whereas many lenders just took the appraisal, subtracted out uh, the land value and came up with uh, a value of what we call coverage amount. And that is just not the appropriate methodology uh, in order to to, uh, arrive at what we call replacement cost value. So there are really just two areas uh, within flood. You have replacement cost value. Um, for residential type structures and on commercial structures, it's actual cash value. And again, the, the coverage amounts for those and how you calculate that have been uh, rather uh, significant with respect to uh, uh, civil money penalties being assessed in institutions. We have to make sure that we use a, a, a myriad of, of, of methods in order to arrive at replacement cost value. And one way to do that could be to use the appraisal, subtract the land. Um, Giving that uh, appraisals uh, do not usually include what we call cost approach. Um, but you also cannot stop there. You have to use your tax value as well um, and, and look at what that may be, as well as what replacement cost value would be on the homeowner's policy, although the calculations for flood in homeowners are very different. Reconciling your records for life of loan monitoring, as I mentioned previously, Uh, Using a third-party provider for what we call ongoing life of loan monitoring um, is fantastic. However, we've got to reconcile, well, we have to notify them when a loan is paid off so that we don't continue to track that life of loan coverage. Uh, Insufficient monitoring for ongoing coverage, that's one big area that we see on a regular basis. While institutions have reports that certainly identify those properties that that are expiring, uh, institutions... Um, have not done an adequate job in, in, in many cases uh, for monitoring those ongoing coverages, getting letters out, making sure that coverage is maintained or forced place. Um, and of course, the next bullet, which is failure to force place in a timely manner. Um, the rules themselves, uh, although there are no regulations, the provisions and mandatory purchase guidelines do have a prescribed format for force placing insurance. And then not properly vetting private insurance policies, thus resulting in violations. Um, and that's probably one of the more newer uh, areas that we've seen um, as the result of some changes with Bigger Waters uh, Reform Act. In that, uh, now we can accept private insurance policies for flood. Um, but again, uh, not understanding the, the specifics around those provisions uh, can result in some uh, violations to the institution. So, as you can see, there's a broad, broad range of issues, and anyone. Uh, of them can result in enforcement actions or civil, mo- civil money penalties to an institution. So it's imperative for institutions to take flood provision.
1: Dean, thanks for sharing this important information with our audience today. But just as importantly, thank you for sharing some of what I think are very helpful suggestions on how to address these issues with our audience. This is Len Suzio with GeoDataVision.
0: And this is Dean Stockford from m M&M and Consulting saying thank you for listening to today's podcast. And please let us know of any additional topics that you'd like to hear in future podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.